This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. So progress in the FA Cup against Birmingham and a got-the-job-done win over Brighton in the Premier League has created a little bit of a dull week for Manchester City. Routine is probably the word, but that's now seven wins in a row in all competitions and Pep Guardiola's side seems to be building up ahead of steam. So let's try and jazz things up a little bit for this week's Blue Moon podcast, especially as, quietly, City have put themselves in an excellent position in the title race, allowing for their games in hand. There's more than just the current top-flight picture for this week's show, though, as we'll speak to former City goalkeeper David James about the time Stuart Pearce sent him up front and that's the first of our three-part interview too. Howard Hawking is back later on, plus we'll be looking ahead to games with Crystal Palace and Aston Villa, assuming that they go ahead. I'm David Mooney, with me this week is Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. Hello. And my colleague on the Why Always Us City podcast, The Athletic's Sam Lee. Yeah, uh, yeah, hello. I thought when he said Goal.com, I, I thought you were introducing me again. I thought it was a proper <laughs> flashback. A good flashback, I hope. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there we go. Uh, right, uh, two games, Birmingham and Brighton, uh, to look back on. Like I said in the intro, not not a huge amount happened. Um, I, I want to talk through some of the players to start with because of that. Um, John, I want to I want to look at Bernardo Silva. Obviously, two goals against uh, against Birmingham, quite involved against Brighton. Is this the sort of form that Guardiola wants to see from him, given where he's been at recently? Yeah, I think we all want the Bernardo of sort of 2018, 2019 back, and it's been as a bit of a slow grind getting there, but there are signs that he's he's really back to what you know he was he was outstanding that season and he was the player of the season he should have won that well he was my player of the season um, and yeah I don't know it's just obviously a few things happened it was the Benjamin Mendy incident which was I'm sure wasn't a nice nice thing to live through um, he obviously had a a tiring season that year with City and then on the back of it, a big summer with Portugal. Uh, and he, and he, he gives so much. He runs so hard. And it, it just didn't happen for him last season. And he struggled going into this season. But, yeah, there's been signs the last few games. I mean, his work rate against Brighton was uh, absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, we we've seen what a player he can be. So when he's at his best, he gets into Pep Guardiola's side, and I don't think you could have said that for the last eighteen months. Yeah, Sam, has his, has his position been tweaked at all? Because he's not he's not playing as wide as he used to, is he? A lot of there's a there's a lot of ways that they're trying to get him back in midfield without dislodging De Bruyne. I mean, the most obvious example was when they did dislodge De Bruyne a bit against Chelsea, and De Bruyne played. You know, in the front line, and they just put Bernardo Silva back in that number eight position, and they put he played really Gundogan. well that day as well, didn't he? Exactly, and they put Gundogan in that number eight position. You know, kind of the old David Silva role, um, which is what had um, happened when Bernardo had that great season that John mentioned, and that's that's probably a really good example of it. But yeah, the, in the in the game since then, you know, De Bruyne still has been in his usual role, but when he's been roaming, you know, Bernardo's been cropping up a bit in those areas. Yeah, sometimes he he pops up out wide. I just I just think it, I don't know. They're getting him on the on the on the ball in areas he likes most. I suppose if you imagine where he's got the ball at times this season, that Sheffield United game when you know back in the days when City weren't playing particularly scintillating football. You know, I, I think he was asked to stay back there and do the simple job, keep the ball ticking over. He was very much alongside Rodri, and obviously if you think about him on the right wing, he is good there, but sometimes a little bit marginalised and. I, I think it's obvious that his best role is in that kind of number eight position. So 
you know, whether it's at Stamford Bridge where he is actually in that role or it's the other games recently, they're, they're the areas where he's getting on the ball. And I think that's been the key to Guardiola's success, well, the City's success and Guardiola's tweaks in the last month or so because he's been getting Jao Cancelo in those roles as well. He's been getting players who are comfortable on the ball, attacking those spaces outside the box. And I think, if you were to ask me, that's what's um, benefited Bernardo Silva so much in the last couple of weeks, the fact that he's he's in that role while, and Guardiola's found a way to do it while De Bruyne is still there as well. And, and you know, Gundogan's still playing and Rodri's still playing. And, you know, that's potentially very dangerous. And that's, you know, that's that's a way that really just kind of puts City as, dare I say, favourites for the title again, if, if Guardiola's got him playing like that. Well, John, I was gonna I was gonna bring up Gundogan's form because that that is probably having an indirect result on Bernardo's form as well, isn't it? The, the fact that Gundogan has been so good in the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very sort of difficult to pin down City when they're on the ball. There's so much movement, players playing in different positions. You know, Gundogan can be the 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 the, the furthest, the deepest midfielder on occasions. You know, beyond Rodri picking the ball up from the centre backs. And then, and then the next time, obviously, not playing with a striker at the moment, well, not playing with Aguero or Gabriel Jesus, he's he can then be the furthest man forward. So, so much movement going on in, in that team uh, all over the place. Bernardo's, you know, at, at one stage, he's, I think it was the third goal against Birmingham. He was wide right. Uh, sorry, he was, he was, no, let me think. No, the first two goals, he was drifting through the middle. The third goal, he was wide right. They're just moving around all over the place, and uh, they're playing well. They're taking. A, I think it's been built on the, on the Pep sorted out the defense, obviously leaking goals, and they've gradually been a little bit more adventurous with the way they've gone. Gundogan's playing a little bit further forward. You no, know, has a license to get forward. You know, you think of those goals against uh, West Brom and Fulham. It's him breaking into the box. Um, like I said, so I don't think it's just down to individuals. I just think as a team, they're all playing well together and working well together. Yeah. Uh, Sam, that, uh, that that opening goal against Birmingham as well, I want to read back to your tweet uh, where you, you basically described it for for Bernardo as, Christ, what a hit. <laughs> uh, yeah. And do you know what that actually reminds me of? Um, Andros Townsend's goal against City a couple of years ago. Um, just in, in terms of my reaction, when it's like, well, this is very in- informal and quite possibly unprofessional, but sod it. But fuck this me, is what a hit. Goal. It's worth it. Yeah, I can't, I, was that the what I did for Townsend? I can't remember. I can't, I can't um, find it at such short notice. But it, yeah. it was something like, it was like fucking hell. So it was something like that. Um, but it was because, and I've talked about this quite a lot, you know, on our podcast, but when you're watching a football game and everything happens so quickly, but obviously your mind's working at a million miles an hour. And as that ball bounced to him, and he like arched his body. He had no thinking, right to get his foot that high. Ex- well, exactly. I was thinking, well, it will do well to keep this down. And then he went in. So the best, the best goals have always got that element of shock attached to them. When when your mind's already you know discounted it, your mind's already imagined it in Rosette, and then it goes in. They are the best goals. And yeah, it, you, you're right. He had he had no he had no right to to kind of hit it like that, make that contact. Did you see the clip as well of of Guardiola afterwards? Like he was, I can't remember if he was talking to Burrell or, or Leo, but Guardiola kind of 
tried to act out with his shoulder and he kind of turned his his arm so his little finger was facing upwards to kind of convey the fact that Bernardo was somehow over the ball at a very weird and high angle. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And that's that's why that, that, that again that's a reminder why they're getting Bernardo in those areas because like technically this is a big call. I mean, technically, he's one of the best players on the team in such a technically gifted team. Yeah, if I, I just think of that, that finish and thinking, if I'd have tried that, I'd have not only would my hip have popped out, I'd have probably broken my uh, my knee as well. It's just like the everything thing is, just just, <laughs> just wouldn't have got near it. Like it yeah. just, it's yeah. I don't know the amount it's the amount of times you think you're watching football, just go, I'll try that, and you just <laughs> you just can't even replicate it. Like, I wouldn't have been able to get my leg that high, regardless. And you I speak as a man who's someone who's tried to chip the goalkeeper from the halfway line in a game that I've been playing in. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm holding my hamstring doing it. So. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Uh, John, Phil Foden, um, looking over at the left flank, how much is, is Foden now at the moment a first name on the team sheet for Guardiola? Because fans have been calling for this for, for quite some time. Is he, in, is he in that point now? No, I don't think so. Um, I just think that it's slow. It's just taking the time with him. Um, you know, he's, he's had a few, he's had some good games, um, but I always get the feeling that, you know, Foden, the, Pep doesn't want to rush him, and uh, when he's not doing things that he wants him to, that he's the one who's pulled out aside. I mean, there was a game uh, I can't, can't remember it was about a month ago where which City won, and from the sideline, every time Foden was he was trying to trying things and attack, and Pep just wasn't happy with what he was trying. He was trying to, I think he said he was he was rushing things a lot. I think it was one of the Champions League games. Was it? Yes, I think, I think he was. Couple, right, yeah. I think he's had a couple of Champions League games at the Etihad, and yeah, he's he's been he's been trying to really force things, and yeah, they, they weren't coming off. And yeah, Guardiola was yeah definitely kind of like, I'm not having this. And I think they were games that kind of preceded. I think one was before the Liverpool game, and one was before United. And then obviously he didn't get on against either of those teams, and the fans obviously yeah. wanted it. But I just think from Guardiola's point of view, but especially with him trying to you know keep things so tight against those teams and not get counter-attacked. I think the last thing Guardiola wanted was to put on Foden, who was actually going to try and, and do things. You know, Guardiola was trying to keep things tight at that point. Foden was trying to force the issue and win the game. And I just think at that point, it was kind of incompatible. But now, you know, obviously we're City attacking and getting more men forward. It, it's a perfect environment. Yeah, I think I think, I think think Phil's slowed down a little. I think he's trying to adjust his game and... I, I, there's been a couple of times where I've seen him on the ball you know, in a wide position, isolated against the fullback, where he would, a month ago, he would have taken on the fullback and he's just thought, do you know what? I, I think in this, this situation is where Pep would want me to just slow things down, play it square, keep the ball, get another six players up in attack. And I think he's 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 fighting against his natural instinct, which, you know, you go back to when he was a 17-year-old when he, that um, you know the, the under seventeens World Cup final where they England destroyed Spain. You know Foden was just going again and again and again, and and I think it's, that's his natural instinct, and, and it's just trying to rein it in a little bit because uh, you know that's that's how Pep plays things. So I think he's getting to grips with it, but I don't wouldn't say he's quite the first name on the team sheet yet. Yeah, uh, three goals in four games, though Sam. Uh, now one in his right foot as well, which was which was a hell of a finish. Yeah, it just made it look so simple. I think again, in terms of the element of shock, it wasn't the same as the Bernardo one. But um, from from that kind of angle, and you know the whole inverted wingers thing, 
So normally it's Sterling cutting in onto a stronger foot and he'll go across goal. Maybe that was what caught out Sanchez, the keeper. I mean, maybe he was expecting, he wasn't expecting the shot in, into his near post. And it was a shot that was, you know, when you score goals like that, they need to kind of be perfectly placed, don't they? They need, they need to be almost curling away from the goalkeeper. And there's probably yeah. only a, the space of about a yard that the ball could actually go in, in terms of like a corridor. I honestly um, thought he'd missed it and it had hit the pole behind the goal and rolled across the back of the netting. Yeah, it, it was just, a bit like that. Because yeah. uh, the technique was not, not in a bad way, because obviously it went in, but it, it was like it was like he dragged it. That was how the shot looked. But obviously he, he dragged it in the best way possible into the, into the bottom corner. Yeah. And like, obviously, thank God he did from City's point of view because they just they just didn't. Well, I mean, they had their usual problems in front of goal, didn't they? And that that's kind of the value of Foden. But whereas before, you know, when Guardiola's previously talked about how he gets goals, and even last season, you know, after the restart when he was coming back in and chipping in with the odd goal here and there, Guardiola was talking about, oh yeah, he gets goals. It was always kind of as well as everyone else. But at the moment, like he's top scorer now. Love. In all competitions, and he's got four in the Premier League, which is as many as Sterling and Mares, and obviously three of Mares's were against Burnley. So yeah. they really need those goals. Yeah, I, I, the thing is, John, we've been saying it for a well, we were saying it for a while up until the last few weeks. The, these are the sorts of games that you, you just think just put them to bed. They're like uh, as as difficult as the game was. City, there were chances there for City to put that game to bed, and it just it just kind of serves as a bit of a reminder that they are playing without Sergio Aguero, or without for a large part of that game, without Gabriel Jesus as the centre forward. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, there, were, there were chances to yeah, they would have possibly have gone on to score more had they got that second. And um, you know, Brighton were were very brave the way they played at the Etihad, and they they got you know. It's it's just the Brighton side we watch every week, isn't it? They they, they are a good side. You know, I, I, you go back to um, was it September when they played United and they, they would work about five times and, and lost after full time. <laughs> yeah, and lost. You know, that's um, you know they didn't. Edison didn't have a, a save to make really, uh, and and you know, I mean, going back to Bernardo, I, you know that that shows his confidence coming back a little bit the way he. Obviously, it didn't go in, but that little Meg before he hit the post was really was, would have made a really nice goal. That, um, yeah. and then obviously penalties, <laughs> score your penalties. Yeah, bad throwing, bad header, bad goalkeeping, bad penalty. That's about it, really, for that one. Yeah. Um, Sam, we talked a lot on this week's Why Always Us about Aguero. Uh, people can go and have a listen to that if they want to get some, uh, you know, in-depth stuff about Aguero right now. Um, it, as we're saying, it's been a shame that he's just not been able to feature right now. Um, how's he doing otherwise? Have you has, has, has there been any noise about about how he is uh, injury-wise? Yeah, well, you know, Guardiola's obviously outlined how he's been isolating after coming into contact with somebody who's got COVID, uh, despite testing negative. But he, you know, he's been saying the knee, you know, his knee's fine, and the most important thing is that, you know, he feels good. And, you know, we've outlined on on, on, on our podcast the, the problems you can have with a meniscus and basically you know, to cut a, lot, a very long story short, you can have problems out of nowhere. You know, you, you can think you're fine and then it'll flare up again. But, you know, Guardiola said as recently as Tuesday, I think, and he said it again um, at the weekend um, just before that. He's feeling fine. He's all he's all good. Um, and presumably, as long as, you know, there's not a flare up towards the end of the week, start of next week, um, when he is available to play again, um, probably because of the amount of time he's been out, I don't imagine him to to start straight away. It's probably set his recovery back a bit, 
But I wouldn't be surprised if he came off the bench again and then, you know, started one of the next games. Well, as we've been talking about as well for the last few weeks, uh, defensively, City have been uh, pretty solid. It's another clean sheet for both John Stones and Ruben Diaz, again against Brighton. Uh, they were both involved in the clean sheet against Birmingham as well, and that comes after John Stones scored his first goal in 1,163 days, or 89 appearances for City. That goal had some unintended consequences, though, for 22-year-old City fan Sam Watkins. I caught up with him this week so he could explain more. I was just watching the derby at home, and... Um... It was actually, Stones went on a bit of a run early in the first half and I had a, had a couple of drinks and I said, I just put a Snapchat in the group chat saying, if Stones scores, I'll shave my head because he just went on a little bit of a run and I thought he's never going to do that. And then, yeah, so I put that into three group chats and then half an hour later, he bundles the ball over the line and I couldn't really believe it, to be honest. I was going to say, what, what was your reaction when that happened? Well, obviously my, my dad and my brother were jumping up because we just scored. But I just sat in sat in my chair and I, I was just smiling and I, I didn't honestly I didn't know how to react. I was buzzing that we just scored, but I just I knew what it meant and I couldn't. I was just in shock more than anything. I think was was there any part of you that honestly was was about to renege on this and go? Well, no, I was. I didn't think it was going. I was only saying it. Yeah, no, it was. It was. But the, the fact that I put it into three group chats, so I put it into my uni group chat. My, my mates group chat and then my football group chat. Obviously, then my phone started pinging. Everyone saying, "Off it goes," as if Sam, I've got the proof. I've got the screenshot saying that you'd do it. Um, so I had no choice really. And with it being locked out as well, it was again that was another reason why I couldn't not do it. Is, is this the first time you've you've had your hair that short? Yes. Yeah. It is. This is the shortest it's ever been, and hopefully it'll ever be again. Um, no, I've always, I've always liked looking after my hair, my parents. So, yeah, this this was something that I'd never done before, and almost instantly regretted. I, I was going to say, um, have you learnt your lesson with it? Oh, I have definitely, definitely. <laughs> my mum wasn't too pressed either. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. So, John, just on the defence. Um, it's, is this simply because Stones and Diaz have, have formed a good understanding? Or, you know, is it also down to the fact that, you know, Cancelo's improved and, and he's working well in the formation? Zinchenko, Mendy on the left-hand side, they've got a bit of uh, a bit more balance with a left-footer in there as well. It's a bit of everything, isn't it? I think the, the team are working well together. You know, it, it's not just about back four, it's the midfield and, the, and, and even the forwards who, who are part of that defensive st- set-up, winning the ball back quickly. I think you think of some of those games where sides just couldn't get into City's half of the pitch because uh, they were they were just winning the ball back. Bernardo running so hard. Rodri, I think, is is becoming more and more effective. Uh, you know, Fandinho was fantastic at Old Trafford. So, as a as a as a team, they're defending much stronger. Um, but yeah, of course, uh, centre halves are very important, and uh, I mean, it's just been incredible. To, I mean, I don't think I've been on the podcast since John Stones has really put this run together. And it's just fantastic to see a player who was, I don't know, essentially written off, was he, of ever coming back for City. He was very much on the fringes. You know, you were thinking that it was going to be Diaz, Laporte. But to see the way he's come back, the confidence with which he's playing, um, the way he's defending, I think, more than anything. Just no nonsense, winning balls, winning tackles reading the game, uh, and alongside him, Diaz who's, has made a big impact with his leadership. 
I, you know, he's, he, I saw someone on on Twitter sort of compare him to an, an Italian defender from the 80s and 90s and that, that sort of doing high fives for tackles and cutting out crosses and things like that. And the way he cheers his teammates on is it? Yeah, those two have, have been absolutely instrumental in what is now becoming quite a incredible run of not conceding goals with those two at the back. Yeah. Um, Paul Blacklock on Twitter asks, uh, when City were looking for a new centre-back, all the talk was about the importance of buying left-footers to go with right-footers. Wine forward and we've got the best defence in the Premier League with two right-footers. Was everyone talking bollocks? And how many left-footed centre-backs have City had in the past 10 years? Well, well, I can answer the second bit for you quite easily there, Paul, uh, because in the last 10 years or so, uh, of, thir- of the 13 centre-backs City have had, I can, I, I can remember five left-footers. Uh, currently Ake and Laporte, they also had Mangala, Lescott and Nastasic. Um, and Sam, it, it, it's interesting that, that so much was made of this balance and yet here we are, two right-footers doing the job. Yeah, but I mean, they did sign a left-footed centre-back, but the other one that wasn't Ake, they always wanted to be right-footed. You know, whether you believe it was Koulibaly or not, the idea was it was going to be some big sod that could send a message to everyone else and properly defend and be right-footed. So you know, they were always looking for somebody who was right-footed. But... um you know, that, that talk about balance has come from Guardiola. You know, I, I remember asking him about the beauty of Laporte a couple of years ago and the subtle differences, and he was talking about how, you know, it, it takes, you know, as, as much as a right footer can do it, it takes an extra split second, you know, to shift the ball onto their strongest side and that kind of thing. And was it about the angles of the passes as well? Yeah, the angles of the passes. I mean, we, I did an article recently and Rafa Honigstein spoke to one of his former players, one of Pep's former players at Bayern Munich about how like, to, to play it when you, when, you, when you get the ball from the right-hand side of the pitch to, and you're playing it again over to the right-hand side, play it with the inside of, of your right foot so it's spinning away from the opposition but still forwards for the, for the right-back, for example, to run onto, that kind of thing. So when we talk about fine details, it's that, you know, the position the ball's spinning and the angle of the pass. So, I mean, the left-footed thing, it is, it is important for Guardiola. You know, that, that has been a big thing. Um, and I, I don't think he, you know, I don't think he saw this happening. I don't think he went into the season thinking Diaz and Stones are going to be his partnership. Well, I mean, I, I say I don't think. Like, there's just no way. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, I mean, the interesting thing is, um, you know, Laporte is is so good on his day, and he's better on the ball than both of them, even better than Stones. And obviously, Stones is is probably better than than Diaz, but you just can't get him in at the moment. Like if he was fit, I'm sure he would have played against Birmingham. And it, it's in those games where he'll have to kind of build back that trust. I remember he did play in the Champions League game against Marseille in December, which is probably that game John was talking about with Foden. Um, and he was really good. But, you know, it was just before the derby and Pep couldn't have dropped stones for the derby because he'd earned his place. And, you yeah. know, he's, he's been great since the derby as well. So, um, I do think that balance eventually, and I wonder if, I don't know. I wonder if when it gets back towards the Champions League and if all things are equal, if Stones, Laporte and um, Diaz all playing at the same level, I wouldn't be surprised if Laporte got back in just because of that extra tiny little advantage of being left-footed and just doing things a bit smoother. And also, I was thinking last night, with Mares playing against Brighton on the right-hand side, you know, they were trying to get him isolated against his full-back. They... They took their time in getting the ball out to him a bit. And I was actually thinking, if Laporte was here, he could just bang that ball over to him with his left foot straight away without even thinking. And it might be 
that tiny, tiny, tiny difference, if all three are on the same level, you know, by February, March, May, whenever the Champions League games are going to be, maybe we'll see Laporte in there because it genuinely is important. But obviously the big if there is if, you know, Stones and Diaz were to, you know, put a foot wrong because at the moment they haven't and you just can't, like, even for those little gains, what they're doing is more than enough. Yeah. Uh, John, I'm going to finish the first part of the show with uh, stuff on back passes because it feels like an age since we saw uh, a goalkeeper pick up a back pass and then two in two games. Um, for First off, Zach Steffen at, at, at Chelsea and then uh, obviously uh, Sanchez against uh, for, for Brighton. Um, these, they're always, I think they're like corners in that sense. They're, they're, they always get a lot more excitement around them than they are actually dangerous. I don't think they're dangerous at all because of the amount of players between the ball and the goal. Um, but a, a quick one, do you remember the last one at, at, at City? Uh, no. <laughs> the uh, I, I, my, my gut instinct was to go back to uh, 1998 and Martin Margitson uh, picking the ball up and handing it to uh, I think whoever, the, to the QPR striker who squared it for Mike Sharon to score. It was the Jamie Pollockone goal game. Um, uh, but it was actually credit to Marcus Lowe on Twitter for finding this one. Uh, it was actually while you both were covering the club. It was only it was in the Guardiola era. Um, it was in the uh, the game where Raheem Sterling scored at the death against Southampton. Uh, the Southampton goalkeeper picked up a back pass. Okay. I, mean, well, I mean, obviously, I don't remember that, but I also don't feel any kind of guilt or shame. <laughs> no, there's there's no reason you would remember it because that game was far <laughs> more really exciting right. than that moment. And like I say, back passes, uh, pick, picked up back passes are not uh, are not nearly as dangerous as we uh, as we perceive them to be. No. Uh, right. The anticipation is fun, though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, the the moment where you go, oh god, it's free kick in the box. Yeah. I do remember. One for our older listeners, Dennis Stewart scoring a uh, a volleyed a free kick from uh, about ten yards out. So that's it's worth. I think it's on YouTube. That's worth looking out for. Uh, yeah, well, I don't. I honestly couldn't tell you done that or not. So Asa Hartford flicks it up and Dennis Stewart volleys it in against Swansea. Nice. I'll uh, I'll go and have a look for that after the show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, right. So let's move on. Um, when we do interviews with ex-players on the Blue Moon podcast, we like to be thorough and we hate to boil down careers to just one single moment. But the truth is, it's pretty difficult not to do that this week. When people think of goalkeeper David James and his spell at Eastlands, they always think about that time that Stuart Pearce sent him up front as an emergency striker against Middlesbrough. I promise you that over the coming weeks, we're going to hear from David about the rest of his time at City and the rest of his City career. Uh, but this is the only place we could start. The first voice you're going to hear in this, though, is Nicky Weavers. He was the goalkeeper who came on when James played outfield. I started this interview by playing Weavers' words to James to get his reaction. I remember sat on the bench. I sat next to John Macken, Tim Flowers, and about 10 minutes left, I went, go and get warmed up. He went, you, get warmed up. You're going on in a minute. And I'm, Weavers, you. So I'm like, what? So I've gone for a run down thinking. There's like, I'm thinking he can't just be putting me on for like five minutes to say like, you know, thanks for coming sort of thing. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And then I saw the kit man, Chappie, pull out an outfield shirt with number one, James, on it. So I'm thinking, ah. Next minute I saw Jamo running over. He, he was the only one who knew. He was running over, taking his top off, putting his thing on. Claudio Reina come off. And I've gone on, so it was weird because Jamo was ran over, so everyone looked like he was coming off. Claudio's come off, I've ran into the goal, Jamo's ran up front, and it, it wasn't just for like two minutes, it was probably, by the time injury time was, it was probably the best part of ten minutes. But yeah, that was my first action for, you know, a proper game for, for a few years, so, and I remember getting a great um, reception off the fans when I come on. 
it felt really weird because obviously we got, I mean, Jamo was terrible, wasn't he? But it caused a bit of havoc and we got the penalty, didn't we? And you'd have put your life on Robbie scoring it anyway, he didn't. And, and I remember after the game, I was sat down, the lads are in the dressing room like this, you know, with their head in their hands. And I was sat there sort of like trying to look a bit, you know, good, but I was buzzing inside that I've got on. I was buzzing like, could not, I think, wow, how good. I remember doing a decent save off Stuart Downing, but I didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. And I think Pierce is sort of like, I think he was, must have been sat at home thinking, what can we do if things aren't quite going? Is there anything we can do to surprise him? And I think he'd just come up with this bizarre thing. And if we'd have got the penalty, it'd have probably you know, been genius. But I don't think we'll see it again. So, uh, so when did you find out that you were going up front? Uh, do you know what? It's so good to hear his voice. Um, well, it, well, he was wrong on two counts. Um, actually, no, maybe one. one that, that being that I didn't know anything. I knew very little about it. Um, the way that Nicky portrays the story, it's almost like I knew there was this master plan and it was going to happen at a certain time. No. Um, yeah, Chappie at half-time went to me, got your, kit, got your kit printed. I'm like, what do you mean? And he went, you know, you might be going up front or go, no, going on outfield. And I was like, whatever, and, and dismissed it straight away because no one else had told me anything about it. Um, and then, as Nicky said, you know, the board goes up. I hadn't even seen Nicky getting warmed up. I was so in the game that I hadn't seen him getting warmed up. And uh, when I looked over and I saw him stood there, I was thinking, hang on a minute. And I, I sort of ran towards it. And then I could see my shirt. That's why, obviously, I derobed and uh, put the outfield shirt on. Um, and then went up. I, I literally had no one telling me what to do. So I thought, I'll just sort of go up there and try and win headers and the, the second point that Nicky nearly got wrong was that I was terrible I won every header um, and kicked every Middlesbrough player bar Mark Schwarzer I think uh, I might have even kicked a couple of our plays in the meantime but yeah I mean it, it was it was it, surreal is uh, it's probably an understatement because as I say I, I'm not, I wasn't an outfield player I mean I could score goals in training granted um, but had the manager at some point said JMO you might be going out front tomorrow um, if we're desperate. You know, you could, you could have made any story you wanted for to try and excuse it. I would have done some uh, a little bit of practice. I, re- I reckon I would have stayed out for an extra hour, working on my touch, working on my passing, working on all the things that let me down on the on the day. But as Nicky said, the point being, which was, was so funny, you know, if Robbie scores a penalty, we go through, and it's a genius, a genius stroke. But. Um, Unfortunately, he didn't. And uh, yeah, in fact, he went the wrong way. If he'd gone the other way, then I was there for the rebound. Um, yeah. And Nicky's right. He made a good save. Um, I can understand his feelings, sitting in that change room, buzzing. Uh, because, and as he said, he deserved, you know, he deserved a round of applause from the, uh, from the fans, from all his heroics and his, uh, his contributions to the club. But that was one strange day. I was going to say, though, you played a part in winning that penalty. You were at the back post, ready for, ready for the tapping. I was ready. I definitely. I was ready. I was ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and he, I don't think there's a week that goes by where, and I think it's because there's so much football on telly, especially now, that a player gets in the position, where one of the positions I was in in that game, and I think, do you know, if I'd have done a little drag back or a little step over or, or just, you know, I could hit it with my left foot as well. If I'd have gone with my left foot, um, and uh, do you know what? I, now I'm thinking about it, <laughs> and I'm sure there's some fans who remember F- uh, Fulham away. Um, 
Oh, went you, went up, you went up for a corner, yeah. Yeah, and then try to play a cross-field ball on the full, um, at 1-0 down. And then I don't know who the, the, the Fulham player was. Ran, ran the length of the field pretty much. And then Sunji High cleared it off the line. And it was like, anyone who remembers that incident would never have put me up front for 10 minutes in a game. And if I remember rightly, that was probably a week or two beforehand, if not uh, the, the, the season before. But yeah. The, fu- the funniest thing about that Fulham one, now you mention it actually, is I remember being watching the highlights of that afterwards and, and being absolutely furious that the linesman hadn't flagged for offside because obviously you weren't in goal. So that there weren't two defenders between the, the forward player and the uh, and the and the uh, goal line when the ball was oh, played. Wow. So it should have been offside and nobody spotted it. <laughs> well, do you know what? I, I didn't even think of that. I think it's because um, I think it's because Sunji High actually saved it. I, it was, I don't even think I moved after the ball had been uh, intercepted. It was just like looking back and going, "Oh dear." <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's similar things. It's kind of like I think you know what I had a good left foot. Why didn't I just put it on my left foot, cross it in? Tony Warner was in goal for Fulham, who was an old teammate of mine at, um, at Liverpool, and it was kind of like I, I could have put it there because I know you wouldn't have been able to get it. And, but obviously that, that's not what happened and we get to talk about what actually happened which uh, you know isn't isn't quite as fantastic but yeah wow. yeah uh, on the on the Middlesbrough one um obviously John Macken was still on the bench uh, how, yes. you, how, how did you speak to him afterwards because obviously it wasn't it wasn't your fault that Stuart Pearce put had put you up front instead of him there, there wasn't a conversation from what I can remember I mean the the, the bizarre thing about it is it, it and again it sort of goes back to this uh you know, sort of the, the bigger picture. Um, there wasn't a bigger picture in that game other than us beating Middlesbrough. Uh, and, you know, it was 90 minutes or one game of football, we win, we go to Europe, end of story. And the fact that we didn't win was enough disappointment rather than what actually happened in us not winning. I mean, the, the, the goal the Middlesbrough scored, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, um, one of the most annoying things, and it, it, again, it, it's funny. I can't think of one without thinking about the other with regards to me going up front and not, not scoring the winning goal and uh, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's free kick because from, what, 30-odd yards, uh, quite literally a two-step run-up, he has beat me in the top corner. Now, you know, sort of take the goalie out, it's an amazing strike, but um, I was good enough even on that day, to not let that goal in. The only the, the problem with it was that it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and I had free kicks against him on numerous occasions in previous seasons and I knew what he was capable of doing and you end up doing this, the worst thing, which is a little steps you right and that was enough for it to go into the top left-hand corner. So, uh, as I say, in, with regards to the, the final whistle going, it was like free kick or, or header or shot, whatever, um, we didn't get three points. Disappointment, disappointment. There, there was no real concern about, I wonder how John's feeling when he should have gone on. It wasn't until probably days later that someone said, you know, John Mackham was was on the bench. It was like, no, I didn't even know we, Nicky Wee was getting warmed up. Um, but, uh, you know, again, so a, a few years later, you look at it and think, well, hang on. And that's why I mentioned him in the, uh, in the, in the derby. You know, this is a derby goal-scoring centre-forward. And somewhere down the line, a you know, six foot five goalkeeper was a better option. Hmm. <laughs> For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. 
There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was former City goalkeeper David James and we'll have more from him on next week's show as well. But now it's time to look ahead to the games with Palace and Villa and starting off with Palace, uh, I'd like to welcome to the show Andre Vincent, Palace fan. Uh, how are you doing, Mike? Um, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm are, good. I'm good. How are things for Palace right now? Um, we are, we have these moments where we kind of look and go, well, we're not going to win this and we'll win something and we can't believe it. And then we kind of like get a little bit confident and, and then we'll be turned over by people we shouldn't be. Um, you know, it, it, it's, well, I suppose it's the, the life of a Palace fan. Um, we, it's, it's nice to have mid table mediocrity for a change. It's usually, you know, we, we always scraping, are we going to go down or are we going to stay up? So it's, it's nice to have, have sort of like put ourselves there and stay there. But like I say, it's, it's, it's off. We've got no striker. And, and the worst thing is, is especially this time of year where you're looking at the gossip pages, you're looking at the transfer market and our name is never there. And you just go, you can't be happy with what's up front. You can't be just, you know, Ben Teke and now pushing Zaha over and making him play as a striker. That's just not good enough. Not good enough. And and we've been saying it for, you know, what, four seasons. And, and you know, you, you'll see that we're looking at, you know, we'll be looking at a defender or, a, or, an, or another goalkeeper. And you're just going, stop it. Stop it. Just someone up front, please. And the last game, the last game, the game against Wolves, we had two strikes and neither of them were on target. That's, that's just not good. That's not good for a Premiership team. I, well, I was going to say I was looking at looking at the at the season stats. Um, you've only you've only scored what three three goals less than City, but it's just the goals you've been conceding, though. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just. Well, maybe maybe we are weak in defence. I, I mean, certainly I'm not going to knock Zaha for suddenly playing up front because he's he's certainly proved himself. He's he scored more goals than he did for the whole of the season last year. But it, it's still it's still you know I'd rather see him out where he runs and and now we've got Eze as well who's certainly proven himself. I mean, I, I think his goal a couple of weeks ago was just phenomenal. But it's it's just not good enough. Not good enough. We need somebody up the front. So badly. John, when, when you hear um, that sort of reaction to the question, how's things going this season? Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. We're having a lovely time. I had a beer there the other day. Uh, you kind of you kind of get the feeling that when you... We were talking about this run of fixtures for City in the, in the next few weeks. Uh, you kind of get the feeling that there there is an opportunity here, but it's, it's maybe one of those games where you can't take your eye off the ball. Well, no, I think certainly City have learned that over the last couple of seasons. I think... Palace is one that has always been seen as a home banker and come badly unstuck last two years. Uh, I mean, I, I was on a, a Palace podcast for the last two years and both times said, you know, if I was hoisting, I'd go for damage limitation and got it badly wrong both times. So, yeah, they are they are dangerous. You know, obviously, Zaha has been a fantastic player for a long time, someone I really, really like. Eze is coming through. A, a, a friend of mine who, who follows QPR was saying Eze is the real deal uh, and uh, Palace, it, it, the City should be going for him and Palace have, have snapped him up. So they have got um, players in there that can cause a lot of problems. Yeah, definitely. Sam, do you think the, the performance against Brighton in a weird way kind of keeps feet on the ground? Because it would have been easy to get a bit carried away with the performances of the, of the weeks before. Uh, yeah, I mean... Guardiola's you know, 
the way he prepared for that Birmingham game, you know, it was always like it, the focus is on Birmingham. We never give up any game. He picked a strong team against Birmingham, you know, stronger than anybody imagined, even though we've probably thought, well, he will go strong. And then, yeah, like he, he, the thing is, he always he always tells the players how good the opposition are. Um, well, one of the things he's had to change actually when he, since he came to City was trying not to big up the opposition too much because when he was at Barcelona and Bayern, he had to kind of t- tell them to take teams seriously. When he came to City, he was telling them to take teams seriously. And in his first season, he was like, shit, my players aren't confident enough to know that Middlesbrough can cause them problems. <laughs> um, but but you know, he really rates Brighton. And I think we... We saw that last night with how Brighton played. They were allergic to winning. They can't beat anyone, but they always play really well. But it will be a reminder for Pep to say, look, lads, everyone's talking about these six games that are going to send us top or whatever. Mm. Don't get carried away with that. Brighton are a good team. We saw that. And I, I as John was saying, really we're knocking on the Palace. door. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much Palace were knocking on the door and how much City were just kind of leaving it a bit open. Not so much the like the back line. That's the difference, really, this season. City's defense is so good now that under mm. a bit of pressure, they can just stand up to it. You know, they can head a few balls away, they make the tackles, make the clearances, and they're all right. But the fact that they had to make so many of those blocks and clearances wouldn't have been what Guardiola had wanted, and that'll be what he will remind the team. I against- thought you were going to trounce Brighton last night. I mean, if you saw him against. Newport, only you know, they're, they're the FA Cup match before, and they haven't had that much time to get themselves fit again. And and I thought, you know, there, there was a part of me thinking you were just going to walk and trounce it, and then watching you last night has given me a little bit of hope for the weekend, but I, I, I don't have that much. I'm to point that it's out. just about taking chances for three. They yeah. fixed everything else. They've been brilliant in terms of fixing everything else, and Guardiola's kind of turned things around since his new contract. Um, well, even in the last month in a way that I was kind of not sceptical of, but I was thought, oh, okay, it'd be interesting if he can do this. And he has, but the only thing they need to do and the only thing he probably can't fix is put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. Uh, Vinny, we're speaking to you before Palace's game with Arsenal. Does that game, however it goes, does it change anything for the weekend? Um, I suppose time. I mean, what you've got, uh, you know, you played last night, we're playing tonight. I, I don't think it'll, the 24 hours will make that much difference. Um, and... I, I don't know. We, I, we should be it should be a good game tonight against Arsenal. I really do think that. I, I think we've got real good chance. And I, I never usually say that against Arsenal because they usually trounce us. But we have gone there for the last two seasons and beat them at home. So, you know, um, fingers crossed we're going we're gonna to be good tonight. It's just there are moments where when we put our head down and, and you can just see it. And, and certainly you lot realised that last season. Um, you struck when we did, when we dropped our head and scored, you know, two goals in five minutes. Um, and that's that's our biggest problem is is we just have to, we all every game we'll have that moment where we just we just our heads just drop, and and that's when you strike, or any team strikes really. And, yeah, but, and we but, just, but look, at, look at your last two visits to the Etihad though, a three-two win and a two-all draw. You've, yeah, uh, that, you've done all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if Andros is turning it on, who knows? We might get another goal like that. Honestly, one of I I couldn't even be annoyed when that one hit the net. I just it was it was that, that's how good the finish was. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. Um, who are the players that are, that are likely to cause City problems if 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 there is to be a repeat of a, of a result like that? Well, obviously um, Zaha will. Um, if Ez, I think Eze likes the big the big games. I really do. He seems to come out and and shine. Um, it, so I think he's going to show off. 
to his full for his maximum there. So you know, look out for him. Um, and and then, and then I, I don't know. Cahill is I think he's our solid back. Um, I read this morning he might be playing uh, by the weekend. Fingers crossed. Um, but again, you know, as I've always said that, you know, Palace picking their team like a, a teenager picks a FIFA 13 team. Um, he's, he, you know, Cahill, again, we, we, we bought him because, oh, he's a big name and he's done done well. He has really done well for us, I've got to say. And I, th- I think he's really important at the back. Um, I, I think we've got, you know, you, you haven't got to worry. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, Seriously, John, what can I say? It's embarrassing sometimes. <laughs> uh, John, uh, we're saying about the performance against Brighton keeping the feet on the ground. Um, like This is the time, though, where City do need to start kind of winning games. It doesn't really matter how they win games because you look at how the table's shaping up. City have an opportunity here now. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I mean, for all it was a bit edgy against Brighton, they only had one shot on target and it was quite a comfortable save uh, for Edison. And, and you go back to the, the two title winning seasons, there were games like that where they just had to grind out a little bit and just didn't quite get the goals that they perhaps deserved. I mean, there were, there were, there were enough chances in the game where you know De Bruyne could have put one away in the first half Bernardo hitting the hitting the the post. There were chances to have won that. You know, if they got a second, you wouldn't have betted against them getting the third and the fourth. So, um, Brighton were good. Bright, Bright, Brighton are good every week, and they and they lose every week, and that and that's how it happens. So, um, I, I don't think I don't think there's too much to read into that game overall. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, City have are now. I think is it seven wins on the trot now, and they, they, they are clicking. Defensively, they look very strong. Um, up until up until the Brighton game, they were scoring two or more goals a game uh, in recent, you know, since Christmas. So, yeah, this, this is a run of games where they can can really sort of, well, yeah, potentially move top of the table. Uh, and, and I think Pep's really got them tied down to concentrating game by game by game, like they did in those two title winning seasons. So. Uh, th- yeah, they'll be up for it against Palace, no doubt. Sam, I guess my one bit of advice for Palace defenders would be if City go through, bring them down in the box because they ain't scoring from the spot. <laughs> That's very true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they they, they changed the rule, didn't they? They didn't want the ju- double jeopardy of you know getting conceding a penalty and a red card when the team was probably going to score anyway. So now you don't even get a red card. City probably won't score. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I can't. I don't, honestly, I can't believe we're at this stage again, and we're going. Well, who's who's going to take a penalty if City get one? <laughs> to, be, well, to be fair, I don't know why De Bruyne didn't just take it. Yeah, Sterling to come on and take a conversion. <laughs> yeah, uh, Vinny. Before we let you go, um, let, let's uh, talk predictions. We've got charity back coming up a bit later on in the show. Uh, so, uh, what what are you having for this game? Well, I, you asked me this earlier, and and I, I happily went, uh, uh, you know, three nil to Man City. That's what I went for. But after watching you last night, and I, I do think, I mean, I think, I mean, Brighton obviously being my, you know, the Palace's bogey team, and, and we hate them to bits. I thought they were they were wearing you down. I'm going to go two one. No, I'm going to go draw. Damn it! I'm going to go two all draw. <laughs> Same as last season. Uh, we'll get the odds for that a bit later on in the show. But for now, uh, Andre Vincent, thank you very much for uh, for joining us today. Thank you very much.
And that brings us on to uh, previewing the game with Aston Villa, which, Sam, uh, I guess there's a danger of this one not really not going ahead, is there? Well, I, I can't work out what's going on at the fi- with the fixtures at the moment. Like, we were at the Etihad um, on, on Wednesday night and Mike Mine at BBC Manchester was talking about how was it Southampton Leeds has been postponed so they so oh, someone could play Everton instead or something. I don't know. I'd, and all the notifications today on my phone from the Fantasy Football app Got the Leeds, Leeds Southampton's off, so Leeds could play someone else or Southampton. But I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure why games are being replaced and repeated with other things. I think the Southampton one is so they can get um, uh, an FA Cup game in. So <laughs> I, I'm really surprised the Premier League agreed to that. So yeah, I suppose there is a bit of doubt about the Villa game. Um, they, I think they they were worried that the training ground wouldn't be opened until. Saturday. I mean, if that obviously gets pushed back, then it does. It does put it in doubt. Well, the, the uh, game I mean, with Everton has been aban- has been abandoned, has been uh, yeah. postponed, doesn't it? Because they don't want to play the day after um, the training ground has reopened. So, I mean, that, yeah, exactly. I mean, but I mean, if if it, so, if it gets pushed back, the reopening of the training ground, then they'll probably end up cancelling the City game. But if it is open on Saturday, then they'll have to play City because yeah. I think like, that's basically the situation. You know, once once they've established that the training ground is fine and the the, the outbreak is kind of under control as we've seen with City. Then then games go ahead. Um, but the other, I mean, the other thing about the Villa game, whether it does, like presuming it does go ahead, it did get lumped in with the other five fixtures around it. As look at these six easy games, but Villa are obviously really good at the moment. Um, and obviously we've seen how Brighton are a good side, and they gave City problems. And you know we don't know about Palace. We imagine City will be Palace, but you know we've we've imagined that in recent years as well. Um, but the Villa game. They are actually quite well set up, you know, defensively solid. They've and they've obviously got so many threats on the counter attack, not just on the counter attack, but just creatively as well. Obviously Grealish, but other players too, um, like Trey Tre- in particular, and Ollie Watkins maybe not scoring so many goals, but um, do- does do a lot for them. You know, that is a a very dangerous team. Um, I've I've definitely I've not done this podcast in a long time, so if people haven't heard me speak in the last year or so, my you know, it's not going to be any surprised that I think City are going to win their games but in that last six months or so I did genuinely get to that stage of not sure what City we're going to get this weekend yeah you know, because they were so inconsistent I do think they are more consistent now I'm not too worried about the Brighton game maybe I'm wrong not to be worried about it but I, I am I am back on um, you know the vibe of thinking yes yeah, City will be fine um, the, only, the only thing with the Villa game is if there's any element of City not being fine and being inconsistent in any way then Villa will be really dangerous but I do think overall that yeah City are yeah, they're looking alright at the moment and I don't I'm not too worried about that Brighton game I've, I think with City overall being better that kind of thing can happen yeah, John. It's um, we're talking obviously of Villa's COVID problems. Uh, are City through their COVID issues now? Or are we still expecting that there might be more positive tests along the along the line? Well, I, I guess you can't you can't predict who's going to get a positive test in the future. But in terms of um, you know the the reasons for the the, uh, the the cancellation of the game against Everton, everyone's come back from that now. I mean, it was interesting that Carl Walker and. Uh, and Gabriel Jesus didn't start the game against um, Brighton because Pep said he was sort of slightly unsure about how how it affected players. Uh, you know, I think Steve Bruce has spoken a lot about Newcastle players being seriously affected by it, being un- unable to play ninety minutes. Um, I think there's been a few other examples as well of, of players. I, I mean, Gundogan obviously 
he's spoken about how he had a quite a tough time of it when he when he had COVID. So vacant yeah, um, limbs, wasn't it? Yeah. So, um, but you know, Walker and Walker and Jesus did play at the weekend. Edison played against Brighton. Uh, Torres was on the bench. So you know, it's it's looking like they've not been too seriously affected long term, and certainly hope. Hopefully, it can be something that can be put to the, to the background for now, and and they can move on. Yeah, my my only thing, Sam, is uh, is for this Villa game that has been postponed at the weekend. Uh, obviously, they're they're kind of uh, they're really struggling for uh, for games. It's probably a good time to play them in that regard, even though they've had a, a good start. They have lost the last two, for instance. Um, I, I just the, the biggest issue though is I just hope that Everton have been given enough notice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, I mean that's just going to go on forever, isn't it? The whole thing. <laughs> but, but I mean, the more the more COVID cases there are, the more games that are called off. It just I it mean, is I'm what sure it is. That's like, I, I, I don't understand how people can be surprised by that in the middle of a pandemic. You know what I mean? Oh, no, it was just a really weird reaction. Again, I'm sure you've discussed it a lot, and I'm sure everybody listening to this, you know, has had these conversations with friends and family and arguments on Twitter about it a million times. But it was just so weird the reaction it got. Like. I tweeted at the time, I genuinely had no idea that Newcastle game had been called off in December. And that was called off on like a, a Tuesday or something. And I was sorting my fantasy football team out on a, on a Saturday morning. I went, why isn't Emiliano Martinez playing? And I had to Google. It was like, the game's off because of COVID. I had no idea. Yeah, that was a, exactly the same for me. And then City was off. And it's like, oh God, they don't want to play Everton. It's like, you're not ducking a game against Everton. What's the matter with you? Like talking about a good time to play Villa, it was a good time to play Everton, wasn't it? It was just such a weird reaction. And obviously, two days later, like the Fulham game was off, and it was like that didn't that just didn't make a dent. Like the people who were slagging off City weren't not asked in the slightest about the Fulham game being off. Ignored that. Back to slagging off City. Just a very weird reaction. Very yeah. weird reaction. And obviously, since then, like I said the games being cancelled left, right, and centre. Um, and yeah, it, but it doesn't make any difference, does it? Like. The reaction is the reaction, and yeah, the, yeah that, it's, that, it's, that, it's, the it's where we are. The reason, the particular reasons for that, I'm not going to go into. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to, didn't want to draw you into that, uh, into that path. But I, I, I can Ooh. see the oncoming train, so don't worry about that one. Uh, another two weeks where we were close, but didn't manage to nail down either of the scores. So we stay on 285 pounds raised for Cancer Hospital, the Christie in our charity bet. William Hill is giving each of us a 10 pound correct score single on City's games. Uh, we heard from Vinny earlier on that uh, he's going for a two all draw, uh, City and Palace, which is 28 to one and £280 if he's right, uh, which I guess neither of you two can uh, uh, can kind of match. But let's have your, uh, have your predictions. John, what are you having? I'm going to go for 3-0. At 3-0 is 11-2, and that's £55. And Sam? Yeah, partly because my initial score was taken and partly because I do think City are good again. Uh, I'm going for 4, 4-0. Four 4-0 is uh, 8-1 and £80 if you're right. Uh, the odds for the Villa game aren't out yet, so uh, we can't give you the odds, but oh, we can good. give you the scores. Uh, I'm going for a 2-0 win. John, what are you having? I'm going 3-1. And Sam? Uh, didn't I have... Oh, I can't remember. You said 2-1, right? <laughs> you did have 3-1 <laughs> yeah. initially, yeah. No. Yeah, okay, that was it. So it was 3-1 initially, and I thought more likely to be 2-1 than 4-1. So yeah, there we go, 2-1. Uh, well, don't forget, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, you can have a look at begambleaware.org. Now it's time to hear from Howard Hocking. He's discussing short-termism in football, especially this season. On a 
recent podcast for someone or other, I talked briefly about the short-termism of football. When discussing the fortunes of Mikel Arteta at Arsenal, a topic that could have grouped in Frank Lampard too. I'd actually given up on Arteta prior to them playing Chelsea, after City had spanked his team at the Emirates. A month ago or more, I had given up on Fulham too. I thought Frank Lampard had perhaps come of age at Chelsea and was building towards something big, as many Chelsea managers do at some point. They say a week is a long time in politics, but it certainly is in football too, especially when there's a Christmas schedule involved. After all, imagine how I, and perhaps many other Blues, felt as we prepared to kick off against Southampton. Now in the current climate more than ever, I have no concept of time right now, but I'm pretty sure it was under a month ago. Let's see actually. Well, 19th of December that match was. Hell, think how high felt as a Covid-riddled squad prepared to face Chelsea the other Sunday. But against Southampton, a Liverpool team with erratic away form had just triumphed 7-0 at Crystal Palace, and despite their injuries seemed to be clicking into gear. After all, their home form was holding up as good as ever, it seemed. Games at Southampton are tough at the best of times, so it was fair to say that I went into that match with a considerable feeling of dread. The season felt like a write-off, even if City had breezed through their Champions League group and were in a cup semi-final. But hey, how spoiled and negative am I? Anyway, things change fast. You know the rest of the story. The story that's still to be completed, of course. City could have a match called off and still gain four points on Liverpool that week. The team has momentum, belief and the smiles on the face of the players, and especially Pep at full-time at Old Trafford, told quite the story. And through all this, City have barely conceded a goal and have lost one in 23. Two games all season. What a crisis, eh? Now, as I watched Pep talk in his Colin Bell t-shirt post-match at Old Trafford, I'd probably have taken a bullet for him. That's my Pep. But hey, the Brighton match brought a lot of us back down to earth. But City still won before Spurs failed to beat Fulham at home. And the run continues. Regroup, rest and we go on. But I really did doubt Pep a mere month or so ago. Maybe in a month I will again. We're a fickle bunch of football fans. The caveat for my doubt was that I suspected in the year he lost his mother that he wondered about the craziness of playing football as the world crumbled around him and us. I know I have a lot of the time. The ridiculousness of a government that considers hugging after a goal a possible risk to spreading Covid but think the actual football is fine. Pathetic. Either it's safe to play football in all its guises or it isn't. Make your mind up. But you could understand Pep's amusement. That this was all ridiculous footballers as mere assets, collateral required to entertain the masses as they cocooned themselves at home. Derby and Aston Villa played their weekend FA Cup match without any senior players or a manager as Covid rampaged through the clubs. But the health of athletes pales into insignificance it seems to the show continuing and the money that would be lost should we dare disrupt this wall-to-wall entertainment. And so common sense goes out the window once more. Maybe. That depends on your opinion. But whilst I would argue that my doubts about Pep that were shared by many were grounded in facts and strong evidence, it's surely evidence too of the short-termism that all football fans embrace on a constant basis when evaluating the sport. We all seem to have very short memories when it suits. Just look at how coverage of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer flip-flops on a weekly basis. From genius to PE teacher within one match, or one week anyway. Now of course PE teacher is the correct answer, but still. Not that there's anything wrong with PE teachers, it's just that they're not qualified to manage Manchester United. Unless you understand DNA that is, and that understanding could actually see them win the league. It is that sort of season. 
The financial rewards of staying in the Premier League and for those with lofty ambitions qualifying for the Champions League simply exacerbates short-term thinking, a condition that is certainly not exclusive to fans. Short-termism is why Slaven Bilic was sacked from West Brom after drawing at the Etihad. The absolute immediate need for success and results limits the capacities of decision-makers and fans alike to step back, reassess and see the wider picture, and show patience. With a manager like Mikel Arteta, perhaps it's not actually possible to gauge yet just how good a manager he is or will be. When a manager tries to impose his philosophy and the shift in how the team operates, and perhaps the club too, it's hard to assess whether long-term it will succeed, when in the short-term there are inevitable bumps in the road. And as for City a month ago, Pep seemed to have few answers to City's numerous problems. He seemed to be stubborn beyond belief. He was alienating players, seemed to ignore selectively his mantra that players get picked and form. Mares Sterling continued to get picked and I couldn't work out why, and still can't, truth be told. He fixed the defence, but at what cost? Why did he keep inverting players when it didn't appear to work? Why did he keep picking Rodri? If we struggle for goals, why not pick Phil Foden more in league games? Nothing made sense to me and perhaps others. Now one thing I hinted at at the time did come true, which makes a pleasant change for me. He saw the wider picture. He saw the consequences of no pre-season and the consequences of a condensed and brutal schedule for the season. He knew, even after Brighton he appreciated that City are not quite back yet in the true sense of the word. No team is, to be honest, in this brave new world. And I understand that, I understand the bemusement. Truth is, I could do without football right now, I'm not going to lie. The reason is simple. I have to get through this shit show that is the world right now, like everyone else. And I can do it if that shit show is the sole focus of my attention. But throw football into the mix, something that has shaped my mood for decades, and then you add real unpredictability into the mix. It would be easy for me to say that football and thus the results of my team do not matter right now. In empty stadiums in the middle of a pandemic, the asterisks after results have never been more plentiful and viable. But results are mattering to me, and the result of a bad result is dangerous for many who lean on football as a distraction and as a means to get through difficult times. You are relying on fortune rather than your own actions. Thankfully City, despite the gloom that has seemingly hung over them much of the season, at least earlier in the season, have helped me greatly. Just think of the last few weeks as evidence. There was some devastating news of course for City and the fans that is of far more importance than any results. But the win at Chelsea, Liverpool's loss at Southampton and City's cup triumphs have undoubtedly perked me up when it was very much needed. But perhaps my angst at Pep and City was simply a byproduct of isolation and a lockdown, the gloom enhanced. After all, people are playing games with this pandemic to suit their needs. No surprise that Gary Neville thinks that football should continue when his team are doing well. Though after City's dominant victory at Old Trafford, even less surprised that he was pouring through the rules and regulations after City's match at Everton was called off. Now I've seen games called off because it was a bit slippy outside the ground, so the hysteria after the other week's postponement was really something to behold. So who knows what this year will bring, and who knows how much we will overreact to every event. Short-termism is enhanced because we're on edge and prone to jump to exaggerated conclusions. Everything is black or white in football much of the time for fans and the media, and never more so than right now. More than any other season, perhaps we should hold our counsel and just see where we end up, or truly evaluate when normality returns and there are few excuses for failure and not an asterisk in sight next to a club's achievements. Hi, this is Nader Manuha, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. 
Howard Hawking there, and now time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get them in on Twitter uh, for next week at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, quick one, John, to start with. Uh, this is from Emmy on the emails. Should Fernandinho be offered a contract extension? Uh, well, I think against United, we saw that it can still be very effective. Um, but then... I, I, it's, very, it's a really, really difficult one because he's given so much to City uh, over so many years and I still think he can do a job, but also some young players coming through and uh, I, I find that really hard one to answer. Okay, so no answer from John on that one. Uh, Joe Roper on, the, on Instagram uh, asks, uh, could you see Aguero going this summer and Haaland coming in? Sam, I'm going to throw this one your way because of our podcast oh, this week. Uh I, yeah, I mean, it's possible that Aguero could go. Again, long story short, um, there's all kinds of uh, all, all kinds of ins and outs, and basically they need to wait and see how his knee's going to react, and you know how fit he's going to be, and, and that and that kind of thing before deciding if he's going to stay. Um, I think if he is fit and he he can continue to contribute, that they will keep him. But to answer this specific question, can I see a situation where he leaves and Harlan comes in? Yes, hypothetically, I could see him leaving if, for argument's sake, his knee didn't hold up, and City thought, "Well, it's not working, and we need to, we need to move on. We need to get the big boy in." And obviously, if the big boy is Haaland, then yeah, I mean, I, I could, I could see that happening. But I mean, I'm not going to race to the bookies and put money on it. But it's yeah. definitely, I think, I, I definitely could see it happening, and I think it's a possibility as well. You know, I, I think they will go for Haaland. Um, what, what do you think? Let's reshape the question then. In that in that case, what do you think's uh, the most likely uh, to happen this summer? Do you think it's more likely that Aguero stays for another year, or it's more likely that Haaland comes in? Oh, um, well, I, mean, I don't know because I do think both could happen. I, 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 okay, to answer that question specifically, I think it's more likely that Aguero would stay. Yeah, because he's okay. already there, and he's you know he's probably got a lot left in him. I can't. I really hope you know. This doesn't, well, not jinx it or whatever, but I really wouldn't imagine that this knee injury will finish him. As difficult as it is, I can't imagine that it would finish him. So, yeah, I, I would like to think he would stay in. That is more possible because he's already there and, you know, he's proved himself time and time again. Yeah. Uh, final question for this week from Simon Worth on Twitter. Uh, what do you think of this quote from Mark Plattenberg in the Daily Mail about referee bias? Uh, and the quote he's referring to says, uh, he, and uh, that's referring to Jurgen Klopp, is wrong to suggest there is an aura around United that sees them given favourable decisions. There used to be when Fergie was there, but that has eased massively since he left. Um, I think, that, I, I think John, uh, what this is hinting at is that uh, United have it a bit easier at Old Trafford than other teams do. Well, I think it's 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 not with VAR. There's a lot more analysis of penalties, so it's, there's less. It's less easy to get a wrong decision if, if that if that makes sense. Um, but we are still seeing examples of penalties where you know they, they can't be overturned one way or another. Penalties that are given, which probably aren't, but aren't aren't. Was it clear and clear and obviously enough yeah. to be not given, and vice versa? So, um, yeah, I mean, United are having a lot of penalties. Liverpool are getting a lot of penalties. City get some penalties and don't score them. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think I, I think when you go when I think the more possibly relevant part of that quote is the is the comparing it to the Ferguson years when I think there was a lot more pressure 
on referees. I mean, you go back to that picture of Andy Durso and sort of Roy Keane and half a dozen United players screaming in his face. You know, that was that was the pressure. When, if, when Fergie was stood on the touchline with a face like thunder, chewing gum, with his, you know, staring at his wrist and things like that, that's when they, they, they got... United got more injury time and it was a lot more pressure on referees to make those decisions. But I think VAR, I'm obviously not a massive fan of VAR, but I think one of the things we can say is that those, you know, there's a a sort of smaller area of penalties being given these days. Yeah, Um, I think the the interesting question, I think, around all of this, though, Sam, uh, it raises, I I think, quite an important one that uh, my friend Alex has raised. Uh, Should United be stripped of all their titles because of this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought that was kind of what the question was. Not getting at that, but um, yeah, I thought that was the thing. You know, Clattenburg admitting that United got all the decisions when Ferguson was the manager. Um, Yeah, have we got, I was trying to think of a pun there on City and Calciopoli. I was, trying to, <laughs> I was trying to make that work. Um, I'm not bright enough for that. Uh, uh, what, what should I say to that? Um, I, I think the correct yes. answer is, is yes, except in the years where Liverpool finished second. Oh, God. Um, yeah, very, <laughs> very point. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Right, well, that brings to an end this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, then please go and give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can review the show. It all does help. Uh, If you haven't enjoyed it, then just forget all about that bit there. Uh, If you'd like some ad-free podcasts, then from this week, we're trialling that from now until the end of the season for our Patreon backers on all three tiers. The lowest tier is $2 per month, though that now displays in whatever your local currency is as well, so you can uh, do the conversion really easily. Uh, That's as well as the weekly bonus show that you'll get. So this week, it's all about those players that have played for both City and Crystal Palace. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast for more details. Thanks to my guest this week, Gold.com's Jonathan Smith. Thank you. And the Athletic Sam Lee. Yeah, cheers. I'll be back next week and I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.